Cut, and this is The K-Cut, a movie podcast for movie fans. My name is Andreas. I am the creator and one of the head writers over at Films Fatale. I love international cinema, art house cinema, and a little bit of everything in between. And I've got a couple of uh, fellow cinephiles with me. I'm Rachel. I also write for Films Fatale, and I love classic cinema, lost film, silence, and international movies. James here. I'm a content creator. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. I'm one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast. And my expertise on this show is no budget cinema. And this week's episode was my pick. And I thought it would be fun to discuss um, films that, well, the first half will be films we thought were released too soon. And the second half films released too late. And I kind of, you know, I've been seeing a lot of conversations online about stuff like this like you know not even just limited to things that were just in the wrong era but just like could you make it now should it have been made then would it be made now and i just thought you know what are some movies like you know that just the timing just wasn't right and they would have been more effective had they picked a different time period okay well i interpreted the question a little differently so maybe i could start hey go for it Yeah, so for this one, it wasn't so much that the film shouldn't have been made when it was, because I think it was an important film and its message was timely. But I am surprised it was made when it was, because it really was rather daring for its era, and it took on tropes that I think maybe its target audience wasn't quite ready for. And that is the classic film, The Birdcage, starring Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. Yes, it is a remake of La Casual Fall, the French film, but I think there's a completely different context between French and the 70s or France in the 70s and America in the 90s. For this one, I think the way it presents Williams and Lane and their vision as this sort of unbreakable couple was actually pretty revolutionary for 1996, especially in a mainstream comedy starring at least one really big star. So it's not so much that I think it shouldn't have been made when it was. I think it was probably pretty helpful in the discourse, but... I do think that it came along a little earlier than many people expected. I think that's a great pick, and it's uh, and unfortunately uh, one that I have yet to see. I've heard it. Andreas, name, I know it's. Uh, I've heard it being adored time and time and time again. And there's some some weight to what you're saying, even though I haven't seen it yet, because I do know. That, uh, you know, if you recall when we were younger and even like not like necessarily when the phone came out, but when we were like, let's say teenagers, even in the 2000s, mm-hmm. um, how often discussed was this film? Uh, nowadays, you're kind of hearing it pop up everywhere. And I feel like, um, to your point, uh, people are going back and really appreciating it for what it is. Yeah, it's one of those movies that's both a bit ahead of its time, but also parts of it would have to be changed now. But for 1996, and for the reception it got, it was pretty groundbreaking. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. What's yours, James? So my pick was kind of inspired by just a conversation about this film that I've seen had from time and time again recently. And that film is 2009's Watchmen. Okay. And... I say it was done too soon, and this kind of came ahead because there's a lot of people talking about how, and and for this discussion, I'm not including like the TV show that they did because that was kind of something, there were different intentions for that show, and it was also released a lot later, but the story of Watchmen itself is, it was intended as a deconstruction of comic book heroes superheroes up until that point 
But this movie came right after The Dark Knight and Iron Man. And I don't think it really works how it's supposed to when we hit it, we didn't we had yet to hit the apex of the superhero film thing. So honestly, I would even go as far as to say it's about 10 years too early. So this was 2009. I think 2019 would have been a better time because we would have been like, imagine a film deconstructing superheroes post Endgame. Yeah. yeah. And having it made to function as that, as opposed to let's just slap these frames onto the big screen because it's a loved property and people want to see it. It's like they could have done something. It could have been made so much bigger and more impactful if it was if it was just doing the thing that the original work was intended to do. Because, I mean, you see all the discourse amongst superhero movies lately, especially post Endgame and with what everything that went on phase four and just you know, how just oversaturated, you know, comic book adaptations have been in recent years. And yeah, it was just, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, man, I wonder what would have happened if it was released later. I mean, it's, I mean, all in all, it's a divisive film anyway. I love it. I know that everyone doesn't like it, but I'm a Zack Snyder fan. Not everybody is, but yeah, I just think it's just one of those movies where just a little too soon. Cause it, it could have been so much more released later. Here's a question. Do you think it might've been lost in the shuffle? Cause people are starting to burn out a bit on superhero movies. I think, Yes and no. I think yes. I don't. I don't think people would have given a, a chance at first, but I think people could warm up to something like that as something to be refreshing in a in, in this kind of landscape of everything superhero movie. Because it's like I, I think the closest we get to what a modern Watchmen movie would have been is The Boys on yes. Amazon Prime. And I, I, I think that's a good example of kind of deconstructing the superhero thing. So, yeah, I, I think it would have its place, but I think it would have a certain audience, but I think it would just, you know, it would work better in this time period. It's tough because uh, I, I'm i not a Zack Snyder fan. I think it's his best film, but even then I think it's, like, fine. Um, I do love the miniseries, but having said that, um, I expected, uh, you know, the, the creator, Alan Moore, uh, of the graphic novel, of course, um, not the, um, you know, the other properties, um, to have liked the miniseries, but he like went on a field day and absolutely ripped it apart. And as much as I love the miniseries, um, it's exactly what you're saying, where it missed this initial idea of the deconstruction, where um, I don't necessarily think David Lindelof and company were trying to make the miniseries seem cool and hip, but that's how Alan Moore sees it. And in general, that's how he views the uh, Zack Snyder one as well. And that's something that these adaptations, as much as I like one and you like one have kind of missed is the actual frustration with the genre to the point that they are anti it, not a de- like a deviation of it. And I feel like to your point, if uh, the film is released now, even in five years, once Marvel continues to beat several dead horses, that frustration might wind up in a better, um, a better suited adaptation in the eyes of Alan Moore, maybe. Right. Yeah, definitely. Cause yeah, he's, he's very vocal about how he never wanted it adapted in the first place. So it's like, yeah, if, if people can't even respect the creator, I don't think you're really going to hit the mark when you do adapt it. So what's yours, Andreas? So mine's hilarious because I actually had a different pick except uh, today. Um, I finished uh, 
I've always wanted to watch every film by Martin Scorsese, and I pulled it off today. And the uh, penultimate film that I watched actually felt perfect for this conversation. Um, I understood it kind of similar to what uh, the same way that Rachel, that you viewed it. I think this is a great film. I think it's a misunderstood film. And I also think it's one that suffered perhaps from goings on at the time. Um, not the actual film itself, but like maybe it's release and everything. Um, uh, again, it's a film by Martin Scorsese. I had never seen Kundun until today. And I think it is criminally slept on. So Kundun is actually, it's it's a biographical film that leaps over the course of numerous decades. And it details the Dalai Lama as as we, you know, the, the present one that we have. So uh, it goes through the course of uh, him being crowned the 14th Dalai Lama to um, how he's dealing with uh, uh, various acts of war and a turmoil in China under the uh, Mao leadership. And um, I think it's just exquisite with how Roger Deakins shot it, the score that Philip Glass composed for it, and just how artistically nuanced the film is. Narratively, it's a little bit thin, but it kind of takes pride in its spirituality. Why it was released too soon? Well, uh, because uh, it was released under Buena Vista Pictures, um, obviously, so that means Disney, and uh, uh, Touchstone Pictures was a production company as well. And uh, Disney was not happy with how daring, I guess it was, with what it was saying. And they actually tried to bury the project because they didn't want to upset whatever business they had going on in China. And uh, additionally, even looking past all of that, um, you know, once it gets buried... You know, when it got released in 97, the internet wasn't quite what it is now. It was, like, right at the start of Rotten Tomatoes, I think. Um, which, you know, wasn't the behemoth that it is now. And, you know, the word of mouth for this film probably was non-existent. And additionally, I feel like just people's tastes weren't the same, like, overall then as they are now. I feel like a film like this would be more accepted now so like i was thinking maybe in the early 2010s philip glass is still around roger deakins is still around obviously selma schoonmacher is still around um scorsese himself is still around and he made silence which i feel like left a bit bigger mark left a bigger mark with cinephiles uh but it's a very similar film and i feel like deakins with the uh the innovation of using natural light to shoot could have had something just mind-boggling with this film and furthermore, uh, if it was released with Disney or not, I feel like uh, it wouldn't have been like just, again, buried. So I feel like it was released too soon because it was underappreciated. It, uh, I guess, rustled some, or ruffled some feathers. And as a result, uh, it's one of the most underseen, underrated films I think I've seen in a very long time. It's funny that you bring up the internet because, of course, if it weren't for the internet, we wouldn't know about that great Scorsese epic, Goncharov, which I hope you will be caught up on soon because I know you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that was also released too soon because that's why <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody knows of it. So, you know, it's, um, oh, God, I forgot about that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, uh, I can certainly say that it wasn't released too late because, uh, I mean, there's no way when it was released, <laughs> that film, uh, that Scorsese would have had the cast or the budget or the wherewithal to make it. So, Oh, yeah. Um, Did you know there's more fan fiction for Gontaro than there is for Avatar? Huh? <laughs> <know>. Well... <laughs> I mean that. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I feel like there's something very negative in there. Yes, but I I feel like Avatar is low hanging fruit, so I'm just not going to say anything. So it's really funny. There, I saw this TikTok. It was Martin Scorsese's daughter sent him a text with that poster. He's like, "Do you know about this?" And his response was, "Yeah, I made that years ago." <laughs> of course, that is a very dad thing to do. Oh, uh, well, Martin Scorsese, as uh, he's known in Birdman. Um, but, uh, nonetheless, uh, what about films that were released too late? Well, I've got one, and I think you'll find this interesting because um, I have been professing my love for Kristen Scott Thomas for quite some time. Great talent, amazing person. And um, her possibly her most famous role is in the great epic The English Patient, which... <laughs> I think is a good movie, and it certainly got acclaim when it was released. It won Best Picture, after all. But it hasn't enjoyed a great historical reputation. And I think that's because when it was released, those big historical epics with giant love stories set against huge events were starting to die. And you might say, well, Titanic was a year later, and that's true. But I think Titanic was innovative in the ways that this movie wasn't. So I'm trying to think about it because the whole story is based on adultery. So it would be hard to place it in the 50s. But if you change the story, you totally could. Um, Or you could put it in the 80s when there were epics like this and they were getting appreciated and it's kind of considered part of that era. So either of those eras, I think, with a few modifications would work for the English patient. But by the time we were getting to this point, yes, Titanic was successful, but stuff like Pearl Harbor fell apart. And I just think it wasn't the right time for a big, overlong epic that was full of romance. Other times, sure, not 1996. I actually, I, I laughed because I actually love that pick. Um, mm-hmm. That's, as soon as you said Chris Scott Thomas, and I said, wait, I can only figure what this is. The English Patient, I've tried to watch this thing three times i don't hate it but i certainly don't love it what i do love mind you is that um it spawned one of my favorite seinfeld episodes the one where elaine bennis doesn't understand why everybody loves the film when she hates it so yes there's there's that um you hit the nail on the head i think uh maybe the 50s 60s is is too far in the distance the 80s is exactly where it would have thrived and like if you're comparing well, it's it essentially with, out of africa but world war ii and actually like decent out of africa is like outside of its aesthetics is actually just over long glacial and annoying i'm uh, sorry not to step on any toes but like um an english patient i feel like it's also art- artistically strong but i would argue that there's like a little bit of strength in the performances it's just too long and it's just a little too monotonous i don't know it's definitely an 80s film smack dab in the middle of the 90s it's very out mm-hmm. of place Everybody should just go read the book. Uh, Andate is a really great writer, and I'm obligated to say he's Canadian. Yes, we had to study Michael Andate in uh, in high school over here. Not the English patient, but some of his other works. So, yeah, I'm I'm very familiar with the dude. <laughs> Much more than James, I'm guessing. Yep, no clue who that is. He wrote the English patient. I guess that's all I need to know. 
Yeah. Now, I don't know if he got an Oscar for it or not. I'm going to go that while y'all talk. Worth looking into. James, what about you? All right. I really hate to say this film was released too late, but it is just it's just so true. And I, I love this movie. The right team made it. And it was such an experience. But Blade Runner 2049 was released way too late. Do you not like the film? I love the film. That's okay. the problem. It was it's 35 years after it was released 35 years after the original. Right. And all the marketing was catering towards an audience that wasn't big enough to make it a commercial success. That's fair. Okay. Because it's like the lore of the original Blade Runner runs deep within a very small community of people who appreciate it. And when this movie came out, I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And it was amazing. I saw it. I saw it when it came out and they were playing it as a double feature with the first one. But it was just. Yeah, it, it was just too late. I think they could have done something a decade earlier on like the 25th anniversary if they wanted to kind of have something that may be a little bit with a little bit more momentum to catch on because it wasn't so far removed, but yeah, I don't, I still love the film. It was amazing, but yeah, I just think as far as the release is concerned, it was just like, it was too late for most people to really care. Now, would you say the same about Top Gun? Cause we just talked about that one a lot recently. Yeah, that like, it was fine, but it's like, it was almost like it was like it. It's not necessary, but it's like I'm not like mad about it. Mm-hmm. But it's just, yeah. I uh, I feel like that one might have done a lot better because when kids or um, adults are being nostalgic, you know, kids being nostalgic more so to discover a time period they didn't grow up in. I mean, we've all done that. I'm obsessed with the '60s, for instance. Or adults uh, reliving their youths. Um, Blade Runner is more for like cinephiles where it's like, yeah, we love looking backwards and or sci-fi nerds. Exactly. Like observing films of the past. Uh, Top Gun is like, it scratches the itch for anybody that's nostalgic. So I feel like there's more of an audience for that nowadays, even though I think Blade Runner 2049 is so much better as a film. That's probably why it did so much more, so much better financially, I would guess. It did for Roger Deakins what nobody else could do to that point, though. Yeah, that's that's true. If it wasn't for this, uh, he wouldn't have an Oscar. Actually, he wound up getting two. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, By the maybe... way, I looked up, and Ondaatje was not even uh, involved in adapting the screenplay to the extent that he got nominated. So he did not get nominated. Maybe that's why it's so boring. I don't know. <laughs> you know sorry, not to not to keep hovering on about the English patient. <laughs> well, uh, it sounds like. Uh, I'm this time around leaning more towards what you're saying, James, um, where I actually picked a film that I do like. But uh, unlike you, I would say that a lot of people in general don't like it. And I don't mean like the just the movie going masses, um, but like even just like critics as well. Um, so I don't know if uh, either of you recall this or knew this at all. I used to do concert reviews and actually used to do, uh, no, I wasn't great at it, but I did a little bit of concert photography as well. So I was uh, doing a lot of festivals in Toronto, um, maybe about 10, nine, eight years ago. Um, and, you know, I'll just bring up who, who the who the guilty culprit is. Um, Terrence Malick doesn't know how to make a film 
you know, quickly enough. And he was working on this one film for a very long time. Post-production itself was over three years, apparently. So the music festival scene, as we know it, uh, changes all the time. So when he made the film I'm bringing up, Song to Song, the, uh, you know, the band music festival side of things, just, you know, the indie bands, the rock bands, you know, you see a lot of head, you know, see, you see a lot of openers. You don't necessarily know who they are. And a lot of the, uh, the headliners are like veteran acts. That was changing a lot in the course of the 2010s to the point where a lot of the biggest music festivals became like pretty much EDM or hip hop. Um, you know, not necessarily this sort of thing. So first off, I feel like it just did not sit well with a lot of people who fell out of touch with it. Listen, if it wasn't with, if it wasn't for me doing all of this uh, concert-related stuff, maybe I wouldn't have been so attached to it as well. I don't know. But um, th- there is a, a little bit of plot to this film, but the uh, majority of it is basically basking in this sort of lifestyle. Like, not just music and entertainment, but like specifically like being on stage and being a part of stuff. And the way that Emmanuel Lebeski shoots this stuff, like you feel like you're like actually there. It's just so exquisite. Um, Having said that, I feel like another reason why it was released too late is because, um, listen, when Tree of Life came out, it was loved upon release. Uh, To the Wonder and especially Knight of Cups, I feel like are getting a little bit reevaluated a a little bit. Um, Maybe, you know, people were like, maybe we missed something the first time that these came out. Uh, We're appreciating Knight of Cups a lot more now. Song song to Song is not really getting the same treatment, where I feel like that one is even more so being swept under the rug. And I feel like it's um, probably one of the least beloved films that Terrence Malick has made. Um, I mean, I wouldn't lie and say it's his masterpiece, but I feel like, I don't know, if it was completed sooner, if... um, you know, if it had that promotional hype train around it, like when it was first being made and stars like Michael Fassbender and uh, Rooney Mara were popping up on like big stages in front of actual fans, um, I feel like it would have had a lot more success. I don't know, but yeah, it breaks my heart. Yeah, so I've, I've said this before multiple times. I am a total Terrence Malick apologist. Everything that man makes is a masterpiece. Yep. Even if it isn't. I don't care. I, I love Song to Song. I love Night of Cups. Even to the Wonder, which I think is his weakest, but still loved it. Still great. Yep, I agree. A, a Hidden Life was absolutely amazing. He's got uh, another film eventually coming. I don't know when, but... Oh, yeah. I'm super pumped for that. But that's, that's kind of the thing. It's... Um, I think what a lot of our, uh, what we might be in agreement with is that um, these films were never too early or too late for us. But when it comes to like making money back or uh, developing a fan base, um, yeah. So like even like the most successful stuff we can agree might have been, you know, at the wrong time period because they haven't aged well, like in the case of an English patient. So it's interesting how the test of time really kind of showcases this sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, speaking of time, uh, it's about that time, uh, time to wrap up this episode. Uh, but before we do that and, uh, sign off with our weekly random recommendations, uh, Rachel, give us a little bit of that insider info. 
Right, so we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the K-Cut, and we are doing our cinematic smorgasbord this month, and I think we're recording that next week, actually. And our selections are Ganja and Hess, There Will Be Blood, and Metropolis for Individuals, and the John Denver classic, yes, you heard that right, Oh God, uh, for our collective. <laughs> oh God, indeed, this is going to be fascinating. So if we're going into random recommendations, then... Uh, the smarty pants in our uh, listenership will have noticed that both of our my films were from 1996, English Patient and the Birdcage. So I dug deep into 1996 and I came up with a film that takes us back in time and I would argue does so quite effectively and is amusing and fun and was the directorial debut of one Mr. Tom Hanks and that is that thing you do. It's the kind of movie you can show to basically anyone and I recommend it. Which uh, I will have to check that out. You haven't seen that thing you do? I haven't either. I've been meaning to. I just haven't yet. On the list, it goes for both of you. Isn't it also the only film that Tom Hanks directed? Uh, I'm not sure if it's the only one, but it was certainly his first. Cool. So, I guess I'm up next. So, I'm going to go with a film that I saw recently because I'm kind of trying to catch up on, like, 2022 films I didn't get to that, you know, weren't a part of the death race. So I'm going to go with X by Ty West. It is a very interesting horror film. If you're into horror, I definitely check it out. It's also weirdly one of those films I would say was, it is released at a, at the like right time because it, it deals with this group of people who are shooting an adult film before like disaster strikes. And I just think that's so appropriate for the landscape of like how normalized sex work is becoming or has become in society nowadays. But yeah, if if you like horror movies, or, or if you're a fan of Ty West, like I was already a fan of Ty West before this. Also, if you are a fan of Kid Cudi, because he's in this movie, ooh, and he was actually a really good actor. Actually, this whole cast overall is actually really good. Okay, because it also stars um, Mia Goth, who is right. amazing in it. I cannot wait to see how she progresses in her career because she's so good. A lot of people were sad she didn't get more attention this year for Pearl. A lot of people feel that way, but you know, the award season does not like horror films. Well, uh, for mine, I was trying to take this whole notion of, um, you know, not being released at the right time, uh, so to speak. So I was coursing through the works of uh, Sergei Parajanov, uh, who I'm a big fan of, and trying to figure out which of his stuff was like maybe being like uh, banned and released years later, but then... I started to have like a different mindset with it. And I've also recommended the color of pomegranates a plethora of times. So instead I'm going to go with one of his, uh, slightly earlier films to pull off a similar sort of art style. It's shadow of forgotten ancestors, which is, uh, if you know anything about him or the color pomegranates is equally as challenging. Um, it's just, I mean, it still feels like this is like cinema of the future. Like there's just, like things don't look like this in movies and it's just fascinating that you know he you know he's been gone for a very long time and these films which are like approaching 60 years old some of them um still feel like they're of the future and you can't say that about a lot of people so i'm gonna go with uh with that very underseen film but uh be warned like many of his other films it's incredibly dense so that was uh, another episode of the K-Cut. Thank you so much for, for listening. And uh, be sure to let us know what you think of our random recommendations of the films that we uh, brought up when it c- comes to films being released too early or too, or too late. 
Uh, let us know what some of your own favorite examples are. Uh, that was the that was the kick out. We are now going into the archive.